Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody, and today I'm sorely missing my co-host, Dr. Pettis Perry. It is Pettis' turn for a well-earned day off. Our program today is What Happened to Dad? Once upon a time, there was an average American family living in an average American town. After the family moved to a new state, the father left his carpool and began a long solo commute to work, and gradually he began to change. He looked the same, he dressed the same, but something was very different. But this isn't a story about just one man, a story of a media phenomenon that changed a father and divided a nation. Jen Senko, in her documentary and new book, The Brainwashing of My Dad, uncovers the alarming right-wing strategy to wield the media as a weapon against our own very democracy. It is imperative that we all understand how this weapon is being used on many of us. Our future depends on it. Jen Senko is an award-winning documentary filmmaker based in New York City. Her documentaries focus on social political themes. Jen is a uh, 2016 documentary narrated by Matthew Modine, The Brainwashing of My Dad, tracks the pernicious, addictive, and disturbing rise of right-wing media. This widely acclaimed documentary most recently won the prestigious 2021 Webby People's Voice Award. Jen's new book, by the same name, tells the story of how Fox News and other ultra-conservative media outlets are reshaping the way Millions of Americans view the world and encourages us to fight back. We have big things to do. Hello, Jen. Welcome to Be Bold America. Hi, Jill. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're delighted to be able to uh, squeak an hour out of your busy uh, busy work life. <laughs> I wanted to tell you, Jen, that both your documentary and your new book are brilliant. I saw oh, the doc- you. you're welcome. Uh, yeah, I saw the documentary twice when it was released, but I watched it again to yeah. prepare for this interview. And in my opinion, right. it is as vitally important to see now as it was in 2016. Yeah. It has not <laughs> things changed. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. I think it is important. I mean that that's why I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's standing the test of time, and you probably would like to have seen things change more and that it didn't, but it does. I became a little sad when I saw Eric uh, Bollard in it, though. We lost him a week ago. I'm afraid his shoes will be difficult to fill. He had a. Oh, they they absolutely will. Yeah. But we all have to try and carry on his work and yeah. what he was doing because yeah. it was very important. He, very important. He started for those who don't know. He started me, founder of Media Matters, uh, trying to keep Fox News, you know, in line. And also, you had Jeff Cohen, who's also been on this program. Mm-hmm. So, I was. Uh, uh, it was sort of really nice to see it a third time. But to kick things off, Jen. Tell us the entire story about your dad, including its happy ending. Oh, okie dokie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, I I think that a lot of people will identify with the story. But for me, uh, when I was growing up in the 60s, my dad was a really fun, open-minded, non-political FDR Kennedy Democrat, and he had a healthy respect for science and education. He loved all people, was not judgmental. 
And then he retired in the 80s. He got a part-time job with, as I say, a long solo commute to his work. So he wouldn't be bored or lonely. He found talk radio. That was Bob Grant at the time. His personality began to change just a little bit, like became irritable and more judgmental. Then, uh, about a year later, he completely retired, and he found Rush Limbaugh. And then he began listening to Rush Limbaugh for three hours a day, five days a week. And then he started changing dramatically. Um, He became super angry all the time, and Democrats and liberals became the enemy to him, and of all, that was evil. Um, And then when he discovered Fox, he would have it on during Limbaugh's commercials, like he would mute Fox when Limbaugh wasn't advertising. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah, he became a zealot and tried to convince us all to become his version of Republican. And when email came in, um, he started emailing the, the family about all these, the, all these emails were suspiciously simil- similar, you know, they, and they all had one common denominator. They all, even if he had to read between the lines, they all demonized Democrats somehow. So, you know, where once before he'd been open-minded and loved talking to strangers to see if he knew their language, because he knew several languages, Um, but he became very uh, anti-illegal immigrant, and when he was he was once dirt poor, dirt poor, um, but he became anti poor person. Just say, he would say they're all lazy, um, just wanted handouts, and they should pull themselves up by their bootstrap. He became anti government when it was because of the government he was able to uh, rise to middle class status from the GI Bill. Not to mention he worked for the government all his life, so he ended up joining every organization from the NRA to the Heritage Foundation and got their emails and sent them to all of us. And then, you know, we'd, uh, we'd answer back at first, but we'd all say, we're going to block you. Um, but it didn't do any good. Um, and around the same time, I saw this happening to a few friends of mine, and they, too, all suddenly started hating Democrats and blaming them for everything. And I knew that I had to get this story out there. Um, And so uh, when I did the documentary, people were coming out of the woodwork just telling me their stories. Um, But a remarkable thing happened while I was filming. In 2010, my parents moved to a senior community. And during the move, somehow his radio broke. Um, So... Suddenly, there were no more three-hour Limbaugh lunches. And then um, the old TV that they had in the kitchen, that eventually broke. And when they got a new one, my mom programmed the remote, so um, there was no more Fox. Um, And he would have lunch with her again. And then I think the piece de resistance is when he went into the hospital for a kidney stone, she unsubscribed him from a lot of these hateful emails and subscribed him to just some of the emails, you know, that she was getting that were a little bit more of the liberal bent. 
Anyway, the the moral of the story is he, in the last years of his life, he changed back to his old self. He was much happier. He was always whistling or singing instead of arguing or scowling. Um, but anyway, my goal in the film, in making the film, was to save the country from what I believed was a dangerous plan to divide us. And after the film came out in 2016, it helped a lot of people, but still, over time, I saw the right-wing media influence was only getting worse and more powerful, so I did more research and, and wrote the book, and that's why I wrote the book. And in the book, I look further back in history to see how the whole conspiracy thing started. Well, it, you know, the difference in his quality of life from being mm-hmm. angry and judgmental and bitter and full of grievance mm-hmm. back to the happy person and enjoying his family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are two different worlds out there, and you have to mm-hmm. choose which one you want to live in. But somehow this, we're going to be talking about the five factors of brainwashing later, but somehow, you know, they some people get gripped and get moved into this grievance, victim, unhappy. Right. And I feel so sad for the quality of, our, of their lives. Mm-hmm. Both a book, it's, go ahead. No, it's tragic. I was just it, going to say it's a, it's a national emergency. It's like a, it's a, like a national uh, psychosis. It is a national emergency, and I don't know why the Defense Department isn't calling Fox News a, a national security threat. <laughs> they're but afraid to. They're afraid to. So during this road, um, you mm-hmm. also discovered conspiracies along the way. Uh, what were they? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I, I, I kind of go back in history to explain it to myself, like how it happened. So I'll, I'll try and be quick, but before... FDR. There was the Gilded Age, right, with the robber barons. Right. And then the, the Republican Party dominated the White House for over a decade. That was during the Roaring Twenties. The rich were getting richer, and the stock market was booming. Um, people were taking risks with the market, and the poor had no safety net. Then the stock market crashed in 1929. There was a Great Depression. FDR was elected and created the New Deal, which helped a lot of people. Um, The oligarchs, the economic royalty, whatever you want to call it, were super resentful because they now had to contribute taxes for social programs that would help other Americans and help to create a middle class. So, you know, that resentment, like, carried. And then in the 50s, they actually started organizing, and I go into more detail, of course, in, in the book. And then there was the Birch Society, which came out of that, which came out of that organizing. And then in the '60s, the social movement started happening. You know, civil rights and women's rights and uh, anti-war, and uh, they it kind of captured the country, and it really made the over-rich panic. So they stepped up their organizing in the '70s. Um, people can check out the Lewis Powell memo in my book or the movie. But in in the 70s is when you had the major organizing of the 
uber-rich and the mega-corporations, uh, which, of course, the public wasn't privy to. And they eventually brought in evangelicals and white supremacists to make their movement bigger and more powerful. And the whole goal was to dismantle the New Deal little by little, get right-wing libertarian judges on the bench, and sell the idea of the free market economy to the American people who would have nothing to gain from it all to maintain their power and feed their greed and create one-party rule. So the most effective way for them to do this, even though they had all these other ways, was through media. So they worked to get ownership rules relaxed so they could buy up media and create libertarian Republican voters. And since then in the 80s, there was the demise of the Fairness Doctrine and then the Telecommunications Act in 1996 and then Fox Not News following that. I call it Fox Not News. <laughs> um, there's just, you know, that's how there's been a massive brainwashing in our country, unlike anything we've ever seen. It's been stunning and shocking how successful they've been. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. Lewis Powell, and just quickly, I think to talk about him because he wrote, mm-hmm. he was an attorney and he wrote, mm-hmm. um, I call it not a memo, but a manifesto to the yeah. U.S. Chamber of Commerce telling them that they've got to be, uh, you know, basically take over government. If they don't get involved in government, uh, mm-hmm. then Ralph, the Ralph Nader's will win and, mm-hmm. and really scared the CEOs. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know, we had something like 75 lobbyists at that time in the mm-hmm. 70s or, or early 80s, mm-hmm. and now there's mm-hmm. thousands because they followed yeah. through on that. And then Nixon appointed him to the Supreme Court. Right. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And then yeah. he was also um, instrumental in one of the first uh, decisions that gave money free speech. Uh, right. So, right. He, right. And nobody knew of this manifesto before he was appointed. It came out later. It was really like a big instruction book to all of the rich people. Yes. Um, you know, how, how do we take, how do we take the government? How do we get our one party rule? You know, so it was everything. It was like all encompassing, influencing college campuses, uh, the pulpit, the media, uh, journals, um, and then, oh, and then out of that, like the think tanks. Yes. The think tanks were, were really, uh, influential. And they were well funded. I mean, these were all really, 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 really rich people behind this. Yes. You know. It, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's just shocking how successful they've been. You mm-hmm. are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. We're speaking with Jen Senko, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and author of The Brainwashing of My Dad, How the Rise of the Right-Wing Media Changed a Father and Divided a Nation, and How We Can Fight Back. Learn more at TheBrainwashingOfMyDad.com. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Todd Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM, weekdays at 4 p.m. That's Progressive Talking Conversation with me, Tom Hartman, weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. 
If you're just joining us, our topic is What Happened to Dad? And we're speaking with Jen Senko, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and author. Jen, I wanted you to also talk about the techniques and tactics and factors of brainwashing you discovered in your research. And you also right. talked about libertarian billionaires. Mm-hmm. And libertarianism it, it became a hot button for me after I did my research for my book, America mm-hmm. Bandon. So I now feel the urge to tell you my two little-known mm-hmm. stories I discovered to share mm-hmm. stories with you. In my book, America Bandon, I write at great length about the libertarian mentality that I believe is a very clever basis to justify Republican and billionaire selfishness. The f- mm-hmm. Yeah. The first story is yeah. about David Koch's uh, 1980 vice presidential campaign platform. David oh, Koch, Charles Koch, brothers, I think I have some of the smartest mm-hmm. listeners. I know they know who they are, so I don't have to explain mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. But David Koch ran as a libertarian, and when you listen to his specific libertarian platform, think of mm-hmm. who would be pilfering the money if the policies weren't in effect, and how his libertarian ideology has already succeeded, or, or is on its way to succeeding, even though he didn't win. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have my book right here. I'm just going to read some of the platforms and see if any of this sounds familiar um, now. His platform was to repeal federal campaign finance laws, to abolish Medicare and Medicaid, the repeal of Social Security, the abolition of the U.S. Postal Service, to repeal all taxation Termination of all criminal and civil sanctions against tax evasion. Now, those last two would be great. The billionaires would love that. Uh, The abolition of the Environmental Protection Agency, the dissolution of the Department of Energy, the abolition of the Federal Aviation Administration, the abolition of the Food and Drug Administration. Um, I I can go on. It's just, and then he opposed compulsory education laws um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and personal. Corporate income taxation, including capital gains tax, laws requiring self-protection equipment, such as safety belts, airbags, and crash helmets, and all government welfare relief projects and aid to the poor programs. Yeah, isn't that basically anarchy? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) It's certainly anti-democratic, and yet doesn't a lot of this sound familiar today? You know, trying to privatize yeah. Social Security, privatize Medicare, let's make a buck on it. Right, right. I, I call it corporatize. Corporatize, that's right. Yeah. See, they're very good with language. Like, you know, privatize make it sa- makes it sound like, oh, it's my own design, my own private mm-hmm. Medicare. You know, but really they're corporatizing it or profitizing it. Profitizing it. that one up now. That's good. I like that. Good word. <laughs> profitizing it because that that's what's happening to it. And then yeah. quickly to share my second story, and I think this will blow you away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second story is about Ayn Rand. And who she admired and based her selfishness is good philosophy and her book Mm -hmm. Superman character on. This was back in 1928, and this this, uh, muse, I call him, to Ayn Rand, his name was William Edward Hickman. And what captured Ayn Rand's psyche about him was, quote, and I'm quoting her now in her journal, what is right for me is good mentality. She liked that. 
what is right for me is good mentality. She thought of him as a, quote, wonderful, free, light consciousness, and that he was unrestrained from any understanding of the necessity, meaning, or importance of other people. She revered that he didn't think other people should exist to him, and he didn't understand why they should. Uh, in her journal, she just wrote accolades about this man. But then, who was this man, she says, she asks, who, who was this man that Ayn Rand revered? Among many other egregious acts, William Edward Hickman kidnapped a 12-year-old girl, demanded a ransom, but killed and mutilated her anyway. To make the girl seem alive in his car when he went to pick up the ransom, he wired her eyes open stuffed her with towels, and then when escaping with his ransom, pushed this uh, 12-year-old girl out of the car so her father could see this. Well, you get the picture. And full story's in my book, but I don't want to go on. But it's just horrible. But one would think that Ayn Rand, after that incident, would disavow him and her adoption of his what is right for good what is right for me is good philosophy, but she did not. She wrote again from her journal, and I quote, The first thing that impresses me about the case is the ferocious rage of a whole society against one man. She continued writing, quote, It is repulsive to see all these beings with worse sins and crimes in their own lives, virtuously condemning a criminal. Worse sins? Than that, <laughs> I, I, worse sins than pushing, killing, and murdering and mutilating. Yes, I mean, wow. She, she still was by her side. It's clear to me that both of these people were psychopaths, but at different levels, of mm-hmm. course. But both mm-hmm. in their own way. The, right. the thing is, is libertarianism adopted her concepts to the point that. You know, remember a Republican, uh, I think from Wisconsin, Paul Ryan, when he got into Congress? Mm -hmm. He gave his staff all copies of Fountainhead, her book, and told them, this is what we want. Right. This is what we want. So right-wing liberalism is just antithetical to democracy and doesn't really benefit about 90% of the people so how do they get half of the country to vote against their own interest to vote this way? Yeah. Um, it's the media, stupid. <laughs> I'm not calling you stupid. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, wait, wait, who am I quoting? What's his name? <laughs> it's a good bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, remember it was uh, um, the the, the econ- it's the economy, stupid. Right. Remember that that mm-hmm. was part of the yeah, yeah. You must have been shocked when you heard me say that for a, just a little bit. No, no, <laughs> I knew you didn't mean it. <laughs> you got it. Okay. I got it. <laughs> Good. So you know, it's it's voting against their own interests, voting for um, right. this platform that wants to take away their Medicare, <laughs> take away Social yeah. Security, take away the FAA, take away and privatize everything. Yeah, well, that's freedom. Oh, freedom. is it? Mm. Yeah. That, 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 that's freedom from, from uh, life, freedom <laughs> from any help. Um, 
uh, yeah, that's that's freedom, you know, because they, they it's 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 socialism. God forbid they they you know that word socialism. They probably don't even know what it means, but um, you know. I don't. That's, yeah, I don't think they do. I think they've also been clever in in taking the word socialism, taking that part social, and then calling all the programs social programs, and making mm-hmm. it, making people think that because we have libraries and and uh, police departments and and regulations, so buildings don't fall down on you in an earthquake, mm-hmm. and and government that. Mm-hmm. That that's all socialism, and socialism is when the government owns the the product or the service and keeps the profits for it. When Social right. Security, we we put in money for Social Security, and the government holds it in trust with uh, with that right. Social Security tax, and then we get it back later. So it's sort of a yeah. insurance program. It's not socialism, but that word social has been confused with it. Back to you. Right. It's earned income. Uh, it's earned income benefits. Um, you know, again, that's a language thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. George, George Lakoff wanted to try and change that to earned income benefits. But it is a little wordy. It is. Well, and, and mentioning yeah. George Lakoff, I, uh, he also talked about um, changing the words from regulation to rules instead of, mm, instead of yeah. calling, because they've demonized that word regulation. Yes, and if you did. change it to rules and you start thinking, okay, baseball, you for need to have rules. Yes, and rules are for protection. But you know you yeah, wouldn't that's pay. What, that, that's what the regulations are for. Yes, they're to protect us. They're to protect the consumer mm-hmm. from a corporation that may have a lot of money and a lot of power, and one individual can't fight that. So right. we wouldn't play baseball without rules. Uh, we wouldn't right. play football without rules. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's it, there are those rules and guidelines everywhere, and to make it work for all of us, and I think that's the promise of America is that it works right. for all of us, um, right. then we need rules on the books. And they've been very good at demonizing regulations and getting those rules off the books so that, again, they make more what? <laughs> Money. Money. <laughs> Money. Money. And have more power, yeah. Yes. Well, this is a good time to break. You're listening to our bold guest, Jen Senko, award-winning documentarian and author, Learn more at thebrainwashingofmydad.com. We would like to add you to our news group, and you can do so by texting Be Bold America at 22828. Text Be Bold America at 22828. Our list is growing. Thank you for signing up. We will be right back after this week's Hightower Commentary, where Jim makes the plea, Democrats, please be Democrats. I'm your host, Jill Cody. I think we can now say the obvious. The Republican Party has gone bull goose bonkers. Its leaders have turned the once proud GOP brand into an unprincipled gaggle of corporate profiteers, hate mongers, and screwball conspiracy theorists. They're so far out that the Hubble telescope couldn't find them. But where is my Democratic Party? 
Here's a transformative opportunity to forge a solid political coalition, a multiracial, urban-rural, farm-labor alliance based on fundamental principles and programs of fairness and opportunity for all. Isn't that what the party says it stands for? This is the prime time to demonstrate it, to reach out and unite ordinary Americans behind a national agenda of lasting progressive change. It's not like the party elders would have to start from scratch for an energized, feisty movement of grassroots battlers against corporate greed and government injustice is already organizing, winning, and growing popular support all across the country. But rather than welcoming and building on the exciting advances of these popular movements, the party's old-line insider clique of big funders, consultants, and corporate politicos passively assume that the GOP's goofiness and nastiness will turn off enough voters that Democrats can win by default. Meanwhile, the establishment insists that Democrats only push modest incremental reforms so as not to offend corporate funders or spook moderate Republicans. Hello, brilliant strategists. A primary function of the Democratic Party is to offend the corporate powers. Also, there are only about six moderate Republicans left in America, so appeasing them is not a big win especially when it costs you the support of grassroots voters eager for a politics bold enough and big enough to end business-as-usual economics. This is Jim Hightower saying, as our own history teaches, it takes intentional gutsiness to create a politics that matters. Republicans won't do that. Will Democrats? The Hightower Radio Lowdown is brought to you by the Lowdown Happy Hour, live-streamed from the Chat and Chew Cafe. Details at HightowerLowdown.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen globally online from the ksqd.org website. We are listening to our bold guest, Jen Senko, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and author of The Brainwashing of My Dad, How the Rise of the Right-Wing Media Changed a Father and Divided Our Nation, and How We Can Fight Back. Now, Jen, in your... Uh, discovery and research and and path that took you to creating the documentary and your book, you discovered techniques and tactics and five factors of brainwashing that we all really should know about. Why don't you tell us about that? Right. Um, So I will um, tell you some of them and then try and give a a quick description of them, and if it's becoming too long, just stop me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But lions skew, and if this works, lying works. Um, We know that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are conditioned to believe authority figures, so that's why it works, especially if it's called news. Skewing is like citing a a statistic or finding, but they won't tell you where it's from or who paid for the study. Um, And then charts can also be created in such a way that leads us to think uh, think think uh, think about it in in a particular uh, one particular outcome. Um, I know I used to make charts for a living. Create confusion and doubt. This is a big one, and Eric. Bullard talked about it. He called it the noise machine. So if you cre- create confusion and so, so doubt, it, you leave people exhausted and less likely to question the message that they're being fed. fed. 
blame and divide. Um, it's so creating an enemy frames the world as us versus them. Um, it's similar to psyops. Um, and once you divide, you've got an army of people doing your fighting for you, and you are represented as the hero. Um, there's brand and label. Um, so you create a simple image that sticks, and that image is shown or said over and over again, and then it's hard to think of anything else. I mean, if you think about um, Trump's name-calling, you know, it's it's still in your head, some of those name-calling uh, titles that he came up with. There's language and framing, and George Orwell said the ultimate weapon was language. Um, the Democrats didn't understand the power of language or even even that the Republicans were effectively using it as a weapon, and they hired uh, Frank Luntz. Then there's, this is a big one, use of emotion, especially fear and anger. Emotions are what interests people the most. Ailes, uh, Roger Ailes said it was that we, the humans, are 80% emotional and 20% rational. I don't know how he came up with that, but it's... He probably just made it up and... <laughs> yeah, probably, but but it's true that uh, emotions are what what interests people and what what uh, grabs them. And the top sellers are anger and fear. Um, and the fear the fear gets them glued to the TV or or, or radio. That and that turns to anger, and then their amygdala takes over, and they become addicted. And again, I'm going through these just quickly. Bullying and shaming. Bullying, it's a good good tactic because it shuts the other person up, you know, and it doesn't give them a chance to get their point across. So that's good because then you're not, in da- you're, you're not endangering your audience of, of hearing the other point of view. And then the, the bullier tries to shame the guests so that the bullier can try to disguise themselves as the victim that that's uh, that's a big one um then of course there's uh, overkill um you know where it's pervasive people tell me their parents have fox on 24 7 and on every tv in their house you know and then like my dad he had the radio he had the emails he had the snail mail um and he had fox I, I, I do want to mention more, one more that wasn't on the list called Accuse Them First. This is oh, a big one. Now yes. that I'm mentioning it, you're going to see it everywhere. Uh, the Nazi propagandist uh, Goebbels said, the cleverest trick used in propaganda against Germany during the war was to accuse Germany of what our enemies themselves were doing. So he made that his specialty, and so did the Republican Party. Well, Putin is um, doing that. Works. Putin is doing that now by blaming the Ukrainians for the Absolutely. and saying that it's the Ukrainians big, are killing the people in Bucha. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, that's also like a big lie. But the party that first levels the accusation will always be able to make it stick more firmly. Um, so then there's also the nonverbal manipulation um, where maybe you have a visual stimulation. And for TV, uh, you know, like Fox, it's about the bright colors, uh, cartoon-like graphics, uh, legs and <laughs> short dresses, alarming text crawlers, 
and it's and uh, you know in the radio it's like there's sounds it's all kind of hypnotic um so um and and then the new one is what aboutism where instead of addressing the issue they bring up a time when they can say a democrat did the same thing or similar even if it's not the same thing or similar it's a distraction but you see correspondents and journalists fall for it all the mm-hmm. time you know, mm-hmm. all they have to do is say, well, th- we're not talking about that right now. What does that have to do with this? And besides, two wrongs don't make a right, right? So those were some of um, the, the tactics that I observed. Uh, uh, and you, you mentioned um, the, the five factors of brainwashing. <clears throat> So you have isolation, right? This right. is from uh, Kathleen Taylor, uh, the neuroscientist from uh, the UK that I interviewed. Um, isolation, so the person's cut off from other sources of information, and, and that's done by making the propaganda exciting, addictive, and telling them that everything else is fake news. Uh, control. Uh, where the agency has control over the information going into the victim's brain. And once they convince them that all other media is lying and the victim is isolated, then the agency has control. Um, Uncertainty. The agency attacks former beliefs so that the victim is very unsure of what they believe. And also the agency stirs up a state of chaos so the victim has a feeling of not knowing what's true. And then the agency can feed the victim simple to calm their mind and they're going to buy it. And then number four, repetition. Repetition is the secret sauce. Goebbels understood that well, too. And there's a glitch in the human psyche that equates repetition with truth. If you keep hearing it, it's got to be true. And then strong emotions, and strong emotions are the hook. Uh, so fear and anger activate the amygdala, and then the part of the brain that does the rational thinking is turned off, and fight or flight kicks in, and it's also exciting in a sense. So it's, it's, it is addictive. You know, display of strong emotions works on just so many levels. So those are the five factors of brainwashing. And, um, you know, you see Fox News or, or Fox Not News, I call it, um, use them, you know, or right-wing radio hosts use them all the time. The big thing is um, don't believe anybody else but us because everything else is fake news, you know, and creating the isolation, the control, and all of that, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I was... You know, I guess it's about a year or two ago that I was working out at my gym, and of course, Fox is playing on the TV sets. And there was a mm-hmm. banner at the bottom that just said, Fox News versus fake news. I mean, the subliminal message that yeah. is there all the time. And you mentioned uh, Roger Ailes, and I, I think you had Gabe Sherman in your documentary, didn't you? He wrote the book, The Loudest Voice in the Room. And um, oh, oh uh, Gabriel Sherman. Gabriel yeah. Sherman, yeah. And yeah, he, I read wonderful that book. A wonderful I book. I read that like a novel. I that did was too. So interesting. I did too. Oh my god! Cover to cover, made notes, and you know, and I, and one thing that he pointed out was that Roger Ailes wanted to treat journalism as politics and another way to market 
politics, a way to market politics to monetize it. So, he, right. you know, it's always been meant to be a money-making machine. And one of the quotes that has always stuck with me that he related in that book was what Roger Ailes said was, we have no obligation to tell the viewer anything not to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Right. That was that was also, by the way, a Goebbels thing. Oh. Um, and by the way, um, Roger Ailes uh, studied a little bit of Goebbels and Lenny Riefenstahl, you know, the propagandist filmmaker who made those... They were great films, mm-hmm. great films, mm-hmm. but, you know, they were made solely to make um, the Nazis seem uh, powerful and um, strong and, um, you know, noble. So, you know, he was the one who designed Fox for Rupert Murdoch, and and the whole, the whole idea of Fox was to um, uh, create Republican voters. And to get, you know, ordinary Americans to vote in favor of, like, really, really, really rich people. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a a listener question come in to me before the show, and I wanted to make sure we touched on that. And he was asking um, to explore the underlying drives that makes this happen. You know, what exactly are the followers getting out of this? And just what are, not just the how of the mechanics, but why the valued goal-seeking that is experienced is worth the cost that they're enduring? Well, I think that people, on some level, I mean, the last 40 years, people, you know, salaries didn't raise. When I was growing up, the dads worked, the moms didn't have to work. Now two households have to work, and sometimes two, three, four jobs. Uh, raises, uh, wages actually didn't really raise in the last 40 years. People know something's going on. So you have agency that calls themselves news or, you know, uh, talk radio hosts that say they really know what's going on and they know why you're in the position that you're in. And um, they tap that anger, and then they provide answers, and they um, they play on, and they create a victim mentality, and, and they create an enemy, and um, you know it sort of like explains things for people, um, and then they can become angry, and they belong to a tribe. Um, you know, it's very tribal. There's this feeling of belonging and like you're special because you know what's going on and you're with the people who know what's going on and nobody else does. So it plays into a very important aspect of human beings, which is uh, self-esteem, you know, and um, self-preservation because you're saying this is where your problems are arising from, and here's your enemy. And it just, it works. Um, it, it gets people really, really angry, and, you know, they have an enemy to, to, to blame everything on. I mean, and that's what creates dem- demagoguery, too. Oh, boy. It's just, um, I wish we had more time, and I need to take a break. We're speaking with Jen Senko, award-winning documentarian and author. Learn more at thebrainwashingofmydad.com. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. 
Want a friend to hear this interview? Be Bold America is available as a podcast. Now you and your friends can listen for free on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Radio Public, and many more. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Join KSQD the second Sunday each month for Intersections, hosted by Seth Shapiro. Intersections takes you to the crossroads of ideas, mapping the contours of belief and knowledge through the stories and lives of influential voices. Meet notable people in diverse fields who are asking important questions. Their experiences and perspectives challenge us to pursue lives of meaning and purpose. Tune in to Intersections Sunday evening at 6 p.m. KSQD 90.7 FM and KSQD.org. Many voices, one station. Today, our topic is, What Happened to Dad? If you're just joining us, we're talking with Jen Senko, an award-winning documentary, documentary filmmaker and author of The Brainwashing of My Dad, How the Rise of the Right-Wing Media Changed a Father and Divided Our Nation, and How We Can Fight Back. And just to finish up a little bit on that conversation um, uh, about you know the, the question we had about the mechanics and why and I just recently reread uh, George Orwell's 1984, um, his book 1984. I read it in high school, didn't really identify it. You know, the paragraphs can be as long as a page, <laughs> so it's pretty intense. And uh, yeah. but today, in rereading it, I again it is as valid today as it was when he wrote it, what yeah. 1947 or something like that. Wow. And what I. I thought is happening too is it's all about power you know and that mm-hmm. and what he talks about is power is not a means it is an end uh, mm-hmm. and power means the capacity to inflict unlimited pain and suffering to another human being so all of those thing items uh, in David Koch's platform would create all sorts of pain and suffering for uh, the majority of the people. You know, that it would just inflict a lot of pain if Medicare was gone and Social Security. It would be uh, uh, not the America we know. And you can see Putin in Ukraine creating pain because, well, because he can. His point in George Orwell's book was... Yes, that's right. That suffering is the end. That's the gratification. Is to is hmm. as power, is that you have the ability to, to make another suffer, and there was a quote in, at the end of the book. There was Eric Fromm was writing uh, something, mm-hmm. and he he related to uh, a definition that Simone Wilds, a French philosopher and political activist, mm-hmm. wrote, and she defined power as the capacity to transform a living person into a corpse. That is to say, into a thing. So it seems a constant pressure that uh, immigrants, uh, people that immigrate or um, come from the southern border are really things. Uh, They're not real people to be allowed in. Or uh, Hispanic people, African American, they're less than. You know, to to create everybody as the other. And the the other can be demonized. The other can be a thing. The other you don't have to care about. Mm-hmm. But do you think also too, like that? That's that's really frightening. I mean, it yeah. could be the reason. But I think too, what power does is it um, protects 
it, it they it's like a shield and and it's and it protects if they're insecure then they have all this power mm. I, I it seems to me like it's maybe born more of greed but i mean i'm learning so much about sociopathy and and how there's really evil mm-hmm. maybe you're right but i can't picture that like just personally can't mm-hmm. picture that being the motivation, like, I really want to make people suffer. Um, I suppose there are some sadists who do like that. But I think with somebody like Trump, for instance, you know, it's it's power. It's feeding his ego. Um, but know, he likes to destroy. You know, mm-hmm. he's a destroyer. Um, yeah. Justin Frank, the uh, psychiatrist, uh, was talking about all he wants to do is destroy and hurt. And that makes him feel better somehow. True. And mm-hmm. uh, when that destruction happens, that makes him feel more powerful and, and again, mm-hmm. more in control. And it doesn't really care that he killed hundreds of thousands of people by ignoring COVID. You know, it just doesn't enter his, mm-hmm. in his psyche. But, yeah, I just thought when I read George Orwell's book that that might mm-hmm. be another, that whole idea of power might be another thing yeah. to just start thinking about. Well, in the last few minutes that we have, you know, we, mm-hmm. we ask our guests what we can keep doing and stop doing and mm-hmm. start doing. And mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful that you found the time to join us on Be Bold America. In these last few minutes, I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about your, you know, mm-hmm. you have a whole chapter on this, mm-hmm. chapter 13, on yeah. uh, what people can do. So why don't you, you share, um, share that for us? One thing I think is that is really important to do is to make media an issue. Um, let your representatives know, like... When somebody runs for Congress or for some seat somewhere to represent us, you look at their 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 page on their website. They have like a platform, right? So the last time this happened, I looked at all these platforms. Nobody had media on there as an issue. Yet media plays a really big import uh, role in all of our lives and in shaping our country and shaping the thoughts of our country. And so I think we have to encourage our representatives, demand our representatives, make media an issue. You know, and part of that would be to get Fox out of the military. Uh, and, and another thing is, but that that's like a whole separate <laughs> chapter. Yes. Yeah, that's really big. And one of the other things that they should do is uh, reinstore antitrust laws so that we don't have these big media monopolies. It's like we've got a handful of corporations that that own all of the media. So that's really important. We have to break it up and and, and make it more equitable. And there there can't be these monopolies. Um, and then, oh, when we're talking to our representatives about making media an issue, tell them also that local media has to be locally owned. You know, n- none of these hedge funds uh, should be buying up local media, and then they don't know when there's a fire in the town or 
um, you know, they can't really act in in with the idea of um, the 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 town or the the locality um, that it's supposed to be representing. Um, there's other big things like tax subsidized vouchers to help fund um, local media. Um, and then another one is um, uh, trying to get we're trying to get internet providers to unfox their cable, like stop bundling. But we can also mention that to our representatives. Like, why do they have to bundle everything? Why can't we pick and choose? You know, it's all for the corporation. And there is um, unfoxmycablebox.com. And, and we also should mm-hmm. talk again about, um, is it def- Defending Democracy Against Disinformation, that organization? Yes, yeah, stop in for disinformation.org or DDAD. Um, Defenders of Democracy Against, against disinformation. disinformation. Yeah, if you if you go to their site, you can't Google them because they want some little bit of privacy. So you go to their site, stopdisinformation.org, and they have uh, instructions on how you can remove Fox from your cable or get rid of cable. Um, there's also a move to get Fox out of um, uh, public places. You know how, how to ask people. You know, can you kindly turn off Fox? It's it's divisive. I mean, just think about it. It's a TV, a TV show that demonizes half the country. How can that be good for their business, even? And also, you know? it's a network that never had a standards and practices department or an ethics department, as all other networks have, like ABC, uh, CNN, MSNBC. They all have those departments that keep their journalists and reporters online, straight with the facts and the truth. But Roger Ailes never intended uh, Fox to be truthful, so those departments aren't there. There's nobody watching those reporters. And I can't call them journalists because they don't follow journalistic um, principles. But it's another good thing to know is that they don't have that internal structure. Yeah, previously, um, the, the Fairness Doctrine governed broadcast media and not cable. And so the FCC, when it was created, was des- was designed to, you know, protect the public airwaves and, and, and make them for the public. And cable was just sort of considered, I guess, like private. There's that term, mm-hmm. privatization, again. Um, so they were sort of exempt from the FCC rules, but uh, we have to do something. I, I know. Mean, the very thing that we value as representing our democracy, free speech, is being abused to destroy it. Yes. It's, Using the tools of democracy to destroy it. That's right. You also yeah. mentioned in your, in your um, what, how we can fight back is talking about Stephen Hassan. And uh, I, mm-hmm. he was on this show, um, uh, mm-hmm. We have him as a podcast, and mm-hmm. he wrote The Cult of Trump, but he really explains that we, yeah. and you mentioned that we shouldn't be talking that, about them as conservatives, but call them cult Republicans. Absolutely. A- absolutely. They're not conservatives. I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, there's a, there's room for conservatism and liberalism and all that, but no, they're radical um, extremists, um, and you know, even Mitt Romney would 
uh, agree with that. Well, and also you talked about uh, the Center for American Progress, you know, has talks about three ways to increase localism and diversify radio station ownership. The um, right wing just took over the airwaves. There's 1,500 right wing radio stations, and there's just a small handful of of democratic, uh, yeah. progressive radio stations and the, and the yeah, television. 97% of talk radio oh. is, is right wing. 97%. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so then you wonder why, why, why the, the half the country is, um, you know, going along with this extremist uh, party right. you know, that calls itself Republicans. Because we're overwhelmed with it. And you yeah, also and relate a quote by Margaret Mead, um, never mm-hmm. doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that ever has. My favorite quote. Isn't that wonderful? And I wish we had more time, Jen. I, yeah. You know, we've just, <laughs> we've run out of time, darn it. So thank you for being our bold and impressive guest. And I hope you'll come back sometime. Um, oh, I'd love to. Would you? Oh, I'd love to have you. Yeah, you're very fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. I won't abuse that. <laughs> I'll give you some time off. We appreciate you and your brilliant documentary and book, The Brainwashing of My Dad. Learn more at thebrainwashingofmydad.com. Uh, there, there are many more lists on that of what you can do on her website. You must see this documentary. And how can people see it? On your website? Jen? Yeah, on on the website, it, it, there's a list of streaming. Um, okay. Yeah, they're both places where it's streaming. Good. Um, and, and then two, um, they can get DVDs or they can order DVDs from me. Perfect. Um, they're both excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. It has been an honor. What's up next on Be Bold America on Sunday, April 24th at 5 p.m.? Well, that is Earth Day weekend, and our guest has written a book on a topic that is not recognized enough. Bonnie Schneider, who is a national television meteorologist based in New York, has written an important book, Taking the Heat, How Climate Change is Affecting Our Mind, Body, and Spirit, and What You Can Do About It. The effects of climate change have become dire. Rising temperatures, volatile weather, and poor air quality affect our physical and mental health in perilous ways. So join us on Sunday, April 24th at 5 p.m. to hear Bonnie Schneider discuss how you can cope with the mental anguish of echo anxiety. You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz, Many Voices, One Station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Intersections with Seth Shapiro. My name is Jill Cody, and I'm so happy that Pettis will be back next time. Thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start, 